we give out those sheets. Make sure you take those sheets and look them over. Because I know a lot of you are involved in a lot of different projects. Just a lot of things coming together this month. Not just in our youth group, but our fellowship ministry. All kinds of things are happening. And uh, we do need your cooperation, your encouragement. And we try to keep you up to date as much as possible with those announcement sheets. So please, now don't read them during my sermon. Oh, I caught a couple, huh? <laughs> but uh, stay, uh, stay abreast of what's going on with those. Well, it's uh, April 19th. I guess you can't get away from uh, <clears throat> the fifth anniversary of um, the bombing. And uh, it made me think about how much here in Oklahoma we are used to emergencies. We're very sensitive to that. You know, we have all kinds, in most places they only have fire drills. You know, we've got tornado drills, fire drills in schools. We may even have one here in the church building for long. Fire drill, that is. And now, you know, with all the shootings in schools and things like that, you have intruder drills. Of course, we need to practice these type of things because we have found out the hard way that emergencies are emergencies because they, they come unexpectedly, don't they? You only have, in a tornado, for example, you only have just a few precious moments to, to do what you have to do to save your life, save some of your property, in a fire and so on and so forth. Don't have a lot of time to get ready. That's why we, that's why we practice. Because emergencies can be dangerous and frightening. Well, I don't want to talk about physical emergencies. Obviously, that's not my role. We have plenty of public safety people that work here and uh, serve here in the church. I want to talk about another type of emergency that seems to happen to a lot of us, and those are spiritual emergencies. In the same way that we have fire drills and, you know, emergency evacuation, things like that, I think we also should be prepared for spiritual emergencies in our lives. Because they happen. They happen. And we need to prepare. You know, when you really think about it, there are all kinds of spiritual emergencies. Let me, let me give you a couple of examples. No, that's not one of the examples. Imagine somebody that you admire and respect as a Christian lets you down or acts in an unchristian or sinful way, and you start feeling cynical and discouraged about your faith. You're, you're in a spiritual emergency there. Imagine that the church where you attend has trouble and there's division and infighting, and it threatens to make you quit the church altogether. And the day you go home from church, the day you go home from services, and you're driving in your car and you're thinking, you know, I believe I'm just going to quit. I, I just want to just uh, forget about it. If you have that thought, you are in a spiritual emergency. Another example. Sometimes it seems that unbelievers and evil people in the world go unpunished and they enjoy a great lifestyle and they're happy and they're carefree and their pictures in the paper and they're at a nice beach. 
And all of this is going on while you and your faith are experiencing nothing but struggle and very little reward. And a crisis of faith that sounds the alarm for a spiritual emergency. Because when you're looking around and, and saying, how come they're having so much good time and, and I'm just plugging away here and I'm serving God. You hear yourself saying things like that. You, you're in a spiritual emergency. And probably the most difficult of all, maybe somebody that you love who has everything to live for is taken suddenly through an accident or through a cruel disease. And you watch them being taken long before their time and you feel the crushing pain of loss with anger and desperation all coming together to take your breath away. And all of a sudden, a cold wind, or like a cold wind through an open window, this catastrophe blows out, or nearly blows out, the candle of flame, which is your faith. And in the middle of all of this, you awaken from the dead of sleep, asking why of a God that you're beginning to doubt. Maybe even you're starting to hate Him. And you find yourself not only in grief and mourning and pain and sorrow, but you are also in a full-blown spiritual emergency with all the alarm bells going off. I want to tell you, for all of those who have ever been there, and for those who are there today, and for those who will experience it in the future, and I guarantee you, you will, I urge you to listen carefully this morning so you can keep the faith when you face your own personal spiritual emergency. You see, I believe that even though some of us are sitting here this morning and we are smiling and we are patting each other on the back, inside many of us may be, even today, facing a spiritual emergency of some kind. And for this reason, I'd like to take the precious time that I have this morning to equip you with some things that you need to do when you face your own personal spiritual crisis. You see, like, unlike rather tornadoes or fires or floods, spiritual emergencies sooner or later will hit your house. Now you can live a lifetime in Oklahoma without a tornado hitting your house. But I guarantee you, you cannot live a lifetime as a Christian without a spiritual emergency hitting your life. Now, a good example of one who dealt well with spiritual emergencies is David, the second king of Israel. There was one particular time in his life when he was in great danger of losing his soul. And this was right after he had sinned with Bathsheba. And I think most of us are familiar with the story in 2 Samuel. In 2 Samuel we read that David seduced another man's wife as a king. He was the king of Israel and he seduced another man's wife and he conceived a child with her. And once this was announced to him, he arranged to have the woman's husband killed in battle. Premeditated murder. Then he married the woman trying to hide their sin. And after all of these things took place, God sent the prophet Nathan to confront David about his sin. And David acknowledged his wrongdoing. And in 2 Samuel chapter 12, beginning in verse 7, we read about the spiritual emergency that David found himself in 
and how he dealt with it. And I want to read this passage to you, please, in its entirety. It begins in 2 Samuel chapter 12, verse 7. It says, Nathan then said to David, you are the man. In other words, he was giving him a parable and he accuses him of the sin. And David recognizes this. So Nathan says to him, you are the man. Thus says the Lord God of Israel, it is I who anointed you king over Israel, and it is I who delivered you from the hand of Saul. I also gave you your master's house and your master's wives into your care, and I gave you the house of Israel and Judah. And if that had been too little, I would have added to you many more things like these. Why have you despised the word of the Lord by doing evil in his sight? You have struck down Uriah the Hittite with the sword. That's the woman's husband. His name was Uriah. Uh, you have taken his wife to be your wife and have killed him with the sword of the sons of Ammon. Now therefore the sword shall never depart from your house because you have despised me and have taken the wife of Uriah the Hittite to be your wife. Thus says the Lord, Behold, I will raise up evil against you from your own household. I will even take your wives before your eyes and give them to your companion, and he shall lie with your wives in broad daylight. Indeed, you did it secretly, but I will do this thing before all Israel and under the sun. And then David said to Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. And Nathan said to David, The Lord also has taken away your sin. You shall not die. However, because by this deed you have given occasion to the enemies of the Lord to blaspheme, the child also that is born to you shall surely die. And so Nathan went to his house. Then the Lord struck the child that Uriah's widow bore to David, so that he was very sick. David therefore inquired of God for the child, and David fasted and went and lay all night on the ground. And the elders of the household stood beside him in order to raise him up from the ground, but he was unwilling and would not eat food with them. Then it happened on the seventh day that the child died. And the servants of David were afraid to tell him that the child was dead, for they said, Behold, while the child was still alive, we spoke to him, and he did not listen to our voice. How then can we tell him that the child is dead, since he might do himself harm? But when David saw that his servants were whispering together, David perceived that the child was dead. So David said to his servants, Is the child dead? And they said, He is dead. So David arose from the ground, washed, anointed himself, and changed his clothes. And he came into the house of the Lord and worshipped. Then he came to his own house, and when he requested, they set food before him, and he ate. Then his servants said to him, What is this thing that you have done? While the child was alive, you fasted and wept, but when the child died, you arose and ate food. And he said, While the child was still alive, I fasted and wept, for I said, Who knows? The Lord may be gracious to me that the child may live. But now that he has died, why should I fast? Can I bring him back? I shall go to him, but he will not return to me. Then David comforted his wife, Bathsheba, and went in to her and lay with her, and she gave birth to his son, and he named him Solomon. Now the Lord loved him and sent word through Nathan the prophet, and he named him Jedidiah for the Lord's sake. And the word Jedidiah means beloved of the Lord. Now I read that long passage. Excuse me, I, I read that long passage because it just tells the story, obviously, much better than I can. Now, I want you to notice from this passage the enormity of David's spiritual emergency. First of all, he was caught in a series of terrible sins, adultery and murder. He also managed to save his own life, but God previewed for him the terrible punishment that will take place in his family. There would be division in his family. His wives would be taken 
from Him. He would suffer public shame. He was in disgrace before his family. He was in disgrace before the nation. A child that he desired was dead. And he also knew that it was his fault that the child was It was his fault that this baby died. And I don't know about you, but I think most of us would cave in if we were under such extreme circumstances. But David managed to do three things that enabled him to deal successfully with the spiritual emergency facing him. First of all, David did not abandon God. He didn't quit on God. You see, David could have gone away angry. He could have made foolish remarks. He could have used this as an excuse to turn away from God, to do his own thing, or even excuse his bad behavior in other areas. But he didn't. He was mature enough and sober enough and spiritual enough to realize that God didn't cause this tragedy. Sin caused the tragedy, not God. His sin, David's sin, that was the problem. David didn't make the mistake of blaming God for the sins that he committed. David understood that from the very beginning of time, it has always been sin that brings death in its many forms, not God. David understood that God forgave sin, but in order to save the spirit, he allows the corrupt body to be detached from the flesh. And that detachment, that separation, that death is always ugly. It's always painful. It's always, always, never timely. I mean, has has anybody ever died in a timely way? Death is always inconvenient. And David, through his tears, recognized the process He understood the naturalness of it, the good to come from it, the control of God behind it, and the need for it to be this way for the soul of the departed to finally be with God and poised for eternal rest. You see, when he faced a spiritual emergency, David did not panic. He didn't make any sudden move. David acknowledged God's sovereignty and he also remained fully aware that even though someone that he wanted to love dearly was now gone, God was still present in his life. You see, sometimes people we love abandon us. But God never abandons us. He's never the problem. We're the problem. Somebody else is the problem. But God is never the problem. And so the first thing that David did when he faced a spiritual emergency is that he clung to God. He stayed close. He didn't move away. He didn't step back. He stepped in to the Lord God to preserve him through the terrible things that he was going through. Another thing that David did to avoid spiritual calamity was that he accepted reality. Note that when they informed him of the death of the child, He stopped acting as if the child was still alive. Then he accepted reality. Of course, this was a new reality. It was a reality he begged not to face, one that changed his world and not for the better. But he accepted it. You know, I believe God helped him here by bringing him to a place where a lot of us take a long time to get to. You know, we grieve and that's okay and we heal and we work our way back to acceptance with the help of God and with the help of others. David, in this case, with God's help, was able to arrive at this point more quickly. 
But the point that I'm making about this part is that when David was faced with a new reality, he accepted it. He didn't remain in denial or anger or depression. He accepted what God had permitted to happen. He accepted that God didn't answer his prayers the way he wanted them to. A lot of times God doesn't answer our prayers the way we want him to. We get mad at him. Rather than just accepting the reality. David accepted the new terms and the new conditions of his life. You know, some people face spiritual emergencies by living in the past or by living in anger or by living anywhere but in the present. We need to understand that this is a form of rebellion to God's will. You ever think about that? If God didn't want something to happen, it wouldn't happen. But if God permits it to happen, it's going to happen. And eventually we have to accept it. David submitted his will to God's will and he accepted the new reality which put out the fire of his pain. See, it's only when we accept the new reality, whatever it is, that the fire of our pain is finally extinguished. And you know what? A lot of times we're the ones that keeps the fire of pain alive by not living in the new reality. The third thing that David did, very important, he began to minister to someone else. You see, when he first met Bathsheba, he used her for his own pleasure. I mean, basically that was it. He was the popular king. She was the wife of one of his soldiers. I mean, he brought her into the palace. He seduced her. He used her. This woman lost her honor, her husband, and then her baby. She was devastated. She was helpless. She was humiliated and dishonored before God. She, we never think about her. We always think about David. We don't think about her. She needed help. And David began to minister to her in order to remake her broken life before God, before her departed husband, and before the nation. You know, a lot of times we face the crisis by perpetually living in the crisis. It's as if staying in emergency mode or staying in emergency prep becomes a way of life in itself. Sometimes it's our way of not facing the future. We simply live in the fear of another emergency. It's like people actually moving into their storm shelters. It's a life, but it's not a natural life. You see what I'm saying? Eventually, the siren goes out. Eventually, the rescue vehicles leave the scene. The crisis is over and we've got to move on. Usually, it's better for us if we focus less on saving ourselves from the next crisis and more on saving others at this point. Ministering to other people is a good way of getting our balance back because that's what emergencies do. They throw us off balance. And so focusing on somebody else's emergency or somebody else's need is a way of finding that balance that we have. Are we the same? No! We're different. We're forever different because of a crisis. But we can find a balance by trying to help heal another person's broken heart. We go a long way in healing our own. In the end, we learn that David and Bathsheba have another son. And his name is Solomon. And later in life, the queen mother, Bathsheba, plays an important part 
in assuring God's will is done is seating Solomon on the throne of David. There was a lot of palace intrigue going on to try to make sure that somebody else, you know, took over David's throne. It was because of Bathsheba that Solomon ascended to the throne. Because David reacted well to his spiritual emergency, God blessed David despite his mistake. And that's how we know we have such a fantastic God. He blesses us despite our mistakes. As I said, Bathsheba bears a second son, and his name is Solomon, and he becomes the great king over the nation of Israel at its peak. In the end, God makes something great out of David's tragedy. And why did this happen? Because David did not abandon God when he was put to the test. Because David allowed God's will to be done in his life. Because David began to minister to another person. David eventually became a better person himself. Isn't it amazing that long after David had committed these sins and had faced his spiritual emergency, that the Holy Spirit says of him, hundreds of years later, listen to what the Holy Spirit says of David, after all of this has gone by, he says, I have found David, the son of Jesse, a man after my heart, who will do all my will. That's in, old, that's in the Old Testament, but it's requoted in Acts chapter 13, verse 22. The Holy Spirit in the New Testament points back to David hundreds of years before and says, you see this man here? You see this murderer, this adulterer, this liar, this killer? You see this guy? He's a man after my own heart. Because of those sins? Of course not. Because of the way he came back from those sins. You see, it's not whether or not you have spiritual emergencies in your life. You are going to have them. It's about how you deal with them that will determine what kind of person you are. We should look at David's life when we ask ourselves how we meet the tragedies and losses and spiritual crisis in our own lives. Ask yourselves, when my time comes, when my time comes, and I assure you it will, when my time comes, will I abandon God? Or will I bear under it the hurt? And will I surrender myself to Him? even more than I did in the past. You see, when a crisis comes, usually what God is asking you is to give in to Him even more. And, and we're so dumb. We do the opposite. We try to push away from Him to, to, to stand on our own two feet. He says, no, dummy, that's not what I want. I want you to become more like a child. I want to carry you. But I want to walk, we say. No, He says, I want to carry you. I want to show you how much I love you. When your crisis comes, will you refuse to accept the new reality by giving up life and love and hope altogether? Or will you accept the change and make the best out of it, knowing that the hurt will one day be less? And yes, one day the sun, the sun will shine one day. One day the sun will shine again in your life. And when the crisis comes, Will you retreat into yourself and focus on your loss and choose only to live in that moment from now on? Or will you transform that grief into the powerful energy of love? You see, after all, once the emergency is over, we still have a life to live and there are still people out there that need love and need hope and need faith. 
Who will give them the love that they need? And who will minister to them after your emergency is over? You see, it's not just about you. Even though you think sometimes that it's just about you, it's not just about you. I don't know what it is. I may not live long enough to see it. But I know by faith, and I know by God's Word, that He can make something out of any tragedy. He can either glorify Himself, or He can bless someone else, or He can honor those whom we love and are now God. God can do all this if you do not allow the crisis you face to extinguish the flame of faith that glows brightly in the heart of each one here who confesses the name of Jesus. Of course, before I close out this morning, I want to remind you that the greatest spiritual crisis that anyone faces is to go before God in judgment without the cleansing blood of Christ to cover him or her. No amount of emergency management or crisis control can stop the judgment of God coming on you if you are not saved through faith in Jesus Christ. And so I urge all of you, therefore, if you have any sins between you and God, if you have to deal with any undone or done things between you and God this morning, then I encourage you to come forward and manage your crisis in the way the Bible says, and that's by acknowledging your sins, repenting of them, by being baptized in the name of Jesus while confessing his lovely name. If you need to deal with your crisis in some way, either through the waters of baptism, by being restored, or to have the prayers of the elders this morning, whatever your need, we encourage you to come forward now as we stand and sing. 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 Sing.